two paranormal investigators who delved into the depths of the famous and not so famous cases of Moida, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Debunking. Mm-hmm. Debunking. Debunking. And uh, Gabby's going to start us off actually right away with something that may or may not need to get debunked. I don't know. I don't know much about this. Uh, <laughs> This article that you want to share with everyone. So I don't know. I keep my eyes peeled for fun articles from time to time. And generally, I'll just uh, just send them to you if I find something funny. <laughs> but this time, uh, my fiance sent this to me and read it out loud and was cracking up. And I was like, wow, this is like, this is pretty good. I should probably share it with others. So the title of this is Metal Monolith Found by Helicopter Crew in Utah Desert. Oh, yeah. Did you hear about yeah, yeah, this? Yeah. I was reading about this. Yeah, on the BBC. <laughs> on the BBC. Yes, that's where I found this article. <laughs> Um, so it's super crazy. Apparently there's just like, there was a helicopter going by and they Mm -hmm. saw something shiny and they didn't know what it was. So they stopped and it's a huge metal monolith, which is basically like taller than a person. It's like almost twice the height of a person and it's like silver. And so it was reflecting light and that's what caught their eye. And my favorite line from it is that like, nobody knows where it's from or how it got there and no one wants to take credit for it either. And so what's really great is that someone thinks that it might have been installed by, quote, some new wave artist. I was going to say, is Banksy around? Could it be or, Banksy? A, or a fan of like um, 2001 A Space Odyssey, mm. you know, Stanley Kubrick, maybe yeah. a little reference to that. Um, and then someone else said, um, it is illegal to install structures of art without authorization on federally managed public lands, no matter what planet you're from. <laughs> so okay. uh, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, and that was someone from the Utah Department of Public Safety. <laughs> no, Utah too. They take their public safety very seriously. Yeah, uh, apparently, you know. <laughs> And then I guess it like went nuts on Instagram and people are like, anybody want to take a, take a gander at what this is? And it just kind of blew up. And so, um, someone else posted on Twitter saying we could just leave the Utah monolith alone and mind our business and not summon an alien or demon or whatever during one of the worst years of our lifetimes. (laughs) I think I saw that one. (laughs) I think it's very funny. Um, and anyway, that's that. I just thought it would be a nice little like appetizer to our meal of an episode. That's true. No, that's a a little uh, uh, amuse bouche, as it were. <laughs> Who's she? <laughs> the wee little appetizer. Just a little <laughs> tiny baby nugget. Little tiny baby nugget. Yeah. But anyway. um, no, I uh, actually, it's funny. So the the topic we're going to be covering today is one that. I don't know. I've been wanting to cover for a while. Yeah, you've been talking about it for a minute. Uh, And then the timing was never quite right as we were scheduling out our episodes. Uh, So I'm I'm excited to finally be getting here. That being said, something that always drives me a little crazy when we... Because we're going to be talking about some killers. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we talk about certain killers as though they were the first time this ever happened. Like, right. like Jack the Ripper and H.H. Holmes. People were like, oh, it's the first serial killers ever. <laughs> actually. Um, actually. Pops up in the background with her finger up. Actually. <laughs> I, I'm not like, not to be that guy, but. <laughs> You're going to be that guy. 
I'm going to be that guy. Um, I mean, yes, yes. They got this widespread media attention and, and they were very notorious. But like, dude, by the 1890s, no. Um, fun fact. One of the first recorded widespread murders was in 331 BC. What? And it was a group of 170 women who used the plague as an alibi for poisoning Roman men. Hell yeah. I know. I want to like high five them. And one of the first recorded serial killers on record, also a woman. I'm uh, just saying like, I'm just saying that's not surprising. People right? are very smart. I'm just saying. Uh, it was um, Lacusta of Galt or Gaul. Uh, she was a poison maker. And people would hire her. Yeah, right. <laughs> but so she's said to have worked for um, Agrippina the Younger, who was Nero's mother, like Nero the Roman Emperor. Uh huh. And allegedly was tasked with poisoning members of the imperial family as well as um, Agrippina's. I may have said that wrong. I don't know. Uh, her husband, who was the former Emperor Claudius, so that her son could go to power. Uh, but this was like, she died around 69 AD. So that was a year or two before Jack the Ripper. <laughs> just saying he's not the first is, is he's your ultimate the conclusion but this, this is my very long-winded way of saying um there was a lot of interesting and notorious figures that don't get talked about as often but were equally as interesting as jack the ripper or hh holmes or any of our fun notorious boys sure and um, we're we're going to be talking about one of them today oh i'm excited one i shouldn't say one because it's not one. Uh-oh. It's, it's a family. <laughs> oh, you know, you stick together. Family that kills together. Stays together. Stays together? Uh, lives together. Today, <laughs> lives together. <laughs> it's probably. <laughs> During quarantine, you know, they probably I will mean. be. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the Bender family. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I love my little disclaimers. Covering this case, researching this case, man, there's a lot of conflicting information out there. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, conflicting dates, places, relationships, names. A lot of conflicting names. So, Dang. yeah, it, it was really frustrating sifting through everything. Um, what I tended to do was either find something that was the most consistently told or I took from what I considered to be the most reliable source. That being said, <laughs> please be aware. There is a lot of differing accounts. Uh, unpacking it all is an undertaking. And uh, there might be some things that may prove at some point in time, history may prove were, were incorrectly told, but I did the very best I could with the information I found. Awesome. But like right from the get-go, history can't even agree on what the names of the family were. Wow. Or even if they were related. Wait, I thought you said they were a family. Well, they said they were a family, but all right, let's start with our family patriarch, uh, William Bender or John Bender or possibly John Flickinger. I'm sorry, who? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And and maybe it was all of them. Maybe it was none of them. But um, for the purpose of our story, I'm going to call him Pa Bender. Okay. He he. Well, he often went by 
grandpa or old man bender is how people tended to refer to him anyway. Okay. And also, I don't want to confuse him with the son. Okay. So he was born in Germany or the Netherlands, probably around 1810. He may or may not have owned a bakery in Germany. He spoke very little English, mostly German, a little bit of French. By the time he showed up in Kansas, which is where our story takes place, he was in his 60s, described as being of medium height, thin or maybe burly. Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) It's one or the other. Yellow-faced and tended to walk around with a slump or a slouch and had quite the beard. Wait, can I ask, how is someone yellow-faced? Did he have jaundice? That would be my guess. Okay. Either that or kind of olive complexion. Oh, okay. Sometimes that's described as... Like mustard. (laughs) I mean, like, you also have to remember that most of these descriptions came out after all the crimes were discovered. So at that point Mm. in time, people are not usually describing you very kindly. That makes sense. So his wife, also a woman of many names... She may have been born Amira, Mark, or Meek. Sometimes she pops up as Elvira. Oh, hell yeah. I know. I'm like, yeah, baby. Uh, But weirder still, she's often referred to as Kate or Katie, which is also her daughter's name. Wow. They just really want to confuse you. And there's, I mean, there's a big, like, Amira and Elvira, I can kind of see that. Yeah. Especially with a German accent, maybe you're hearing Elvira when really we're saying, you know, Elvira or Amira or whatever. Yeah, sure. But come on, Kate. That is very different. That's very different. not remotely close. Um, She's also rumored to have been something of a black widow. Her first husband was supposedly a man named Griffith, uh, with whom she may or may not have had 12 children. Wait, what? How do you know or not know? Is it just like a legend or a situation? Well, this is one of those examples of a lot of contradictory information. There were reports that said she was married and had 12 children, and there were reports that were like, who knows? Who knows? Um, But her first husband was said to have died of a head wound. Uh, Supposedly, she had another husband who died the same way. There may have been more husbands. We're not really sure. But by the time our story takes place, she was with Pa Bender. Okay. She was in her mid-50s, described as being short and stout, kind of homely. After the murders became public knowledge, it was not uncommon for her to be referred to as the old hag. Oh, no. For our purposes, we're going to call her Ma Bender. So we I got like Pond Ma Bender. Yeah. It's like, you know, better. the Bernstein Bears. Yeah. Ber- <laughs> Bernstein. Bernstein, whatever. Uh, ah. <laughs> We should do an episode on that. We should. (laughs) So Kate or Katie Bender was born either Eliza Griffith, so possibly from that marriage to the husband with the 12 children, um, or Kate Griffith. (laughs) She's most likely Ma Bender's natural daughter. She was in her early 20s during the murder. She's usually described as being 23 or 24, but every so often you see a report of her being younger. I don't know that she ever actually gave her age, but she looked to be in her early 20s. She had dark auburn hair, was of medium height, slender with dark gray or bluish gray eyes, uh, usually described as attractive. 
at least until the murders were discovered. And then she was generally called an infernal hag. Oh, wonderful. We're getting hags just left and right. Hags. Hags That'll everywhere. That'll be our hashtag. Hashtag hag. Hags everywhere. <laughs> hashtag hag. I like hashtag hag. Hashtag hag. So the son, John Bender, may or may not have actually been related to any of them. He was called John Bender Jr., was supposedly the son of Ma and Pa Bender, but he also might have been born John Gebhat. Excuse me? <laughs> yep, <gesundheit. clears throat> Who came to America sometime in the 1800s based on a note that was found in a Bible in the family home. Some said he was Ma Bender's stepson. Others are like, he wasn't actually related to them. Maybe he was married to Kate and wasn't her brother. Or married to Kate and still her brother? Oh, no. It's complicated. Um, They would occasionally introduce themselves as man and wife. So who knows? Incest was not completely unheard of in those days, especially in the more remote areas. Yikes. So, but you can see already, like, things are complicated. Yeah. He was somewhere in his mid-20s to late 20s. He was described as having a pleasant face and a mustache usually seen with a bible and was prone to giggling <laughs> like just giggling fits <laughs> just that like that. that that's an excellent example <laughs> well <laughs> the assumption was he was simple-minded oh but no. it's well it's also a theory that it was an act oh yeah but even the bender name is up for debate because once the crimes have been discovered they found the name benter with a t Written around the cabin in pencil. Oh my god! Did it? They couldn't decide on it. That's why it was in pencil. Because you know they could erase it and change the spelling later. Exactly. <laughs> so these are the main players in our story. All right. Ma, Pa, Kate, and John Jr. Okay. But how did this family of misfits end up murdering wayward travelers? Tell me. I will. To see how it all really started. We actually have to look to the Homestead Act of 1862. (laughs) Yay, history lesson. Yeah, it's brief. It's like two sentences, so you'll be fine. Basically, if anyone is unfamiliar, the Homestead Act of 1862, uh, it basically gave any grown-up who hadn't, like, done anything bad against the government... to be granted up to 160 acres of land as long as they lived on it and kept it up um, and paid like a small fee for registration. Cool. It's a pretty good deal, right? They should probably do that now so we can afford a house. Well, here's, 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 here's the thing though, because um, it was not technically the U.S. government's to give away because who did the land belong to? Not them. Not them, but indigenous people. Um, Yay, Thanksgiving. Yay, Thanksgiving. (laughs) So, anyway, um, as we all know, that didn't really stop people from laying claim to the land. Uh, And this was a really good opportunity, particularly for immigrants who were hoping for a fresh start in the United States. So in late 1870, either October or Christmas, depending on which count you read, two men came to Kansas to stake their claim on the land. Pa and John Bender got a plot of land, about 160 acres in the Osage Township in Kansas. They proceeded to build a small house on the land. And I mean, small. It was like 16 by 24. 
and it was one room. Dang. They divide. Now you think your apartment's small. Shit. <laughs> I'm like, that was four people living in the 16 by Wait, 24. Why would they only build that small of a house when they have 160 acres? Lumber costs money. Oh, okay. Nails cost money. Okay. Limited <laughs> sources. Yeah, All yeah right. limited sources. So they put up a curtain or a piece of fabric, possibly from a wagon, to divide the, the home into two parts. And outside, they hung a sign that said, Grow Cry. I'm sorry, what? I think it was supposed to say grocery. It was spelled G-R-O-C-R-Y. Grow Cry. Grow cry. I know. I keep reading as Grow Cry. I understand that they were, like, phonetically, it was supposed to be grocery. But I, I prefer Grow Cry. I like Grow Cry. Hashtag Grow Hashtag Cry. Hashtag Grow Cry. <laughs> uh, so, in the front room... They had a small selection of tobacco, sardines, crackers, powder candy, delicious, and uh, shots, guns. Not like shots, but like ammunition. Got it. They dug up a well. They set up a little garden, had some farm animals. So Ma and Kate arrive in early 1871. The family formally moves into their cute little home. On top of their groceries, they also would allow travelers to stay. Where? The only bed probably in the place. This is the like 1800s equivalent of an Airbnb. Like here's our pile of blankets in the corner you can sleep in. (laughs) Meanwhile, they're just sitting in the same room staring at that person because there's nowhere for them to go. What's funny is people would refer to it as like the bender in. And I'm like, damn, what kind of tiny as ins have y'all stayed in that this wow is appropriate accommodations but nobody seemed to think it was weird so now our friend katie she was also a spiritualist of course she was mm-hmm. we've talked about spiritualists before she started right off building a reputation of being a working medium and a clairvoyant also something of a doctor because <laughs> all of us go hand in hand was she a witch doctor <laughs> but um um she would regularly conduct seances and sold good luck charms and love potions she advertised in the local paper professor miss katie bender can heal all sorts of diseases can cure blindness fits deafness and all such diseases also deaf and dumbness Residence 14 miles east of Independence on the road to Osage Mission, one and a half miles southeast of Moorhead Station. Like, this ran in the paper. Wait, so and who made her a professor? Was it a professor? It's prof. And so I'm assuming it's professor and not professional. But I think she made herself one the same way she said she could cure diseases. This is very reminiscent of uh, Dr. Linda Hazard. There's a little bit of Linda Hazard in this. Well, I mean, again, it's not like there was any sort of... Nobody's regulating anything. Sure. This was doctoring on the frontier. You know, I can cure things. Oh, cool. You can cure me. That's true. That's true. So she'd travel around. She gave a lot of spiritualist lectures. She was also generally the one described as the most kind of charismatic of the family. She spoke English the best, had the least amount of an accent. But all was not normal with the family. (laughs) Clearly. Shortly after they arrived, Kate would get a job as a waitress or dining room girl at the nearby Chairvale Hotel. 
she met a woman there named Julie Hassler, who also worked as a clairvoyant. Wow. <laughs> clairvoyance left and right. Clairvoyance for everyone. So popular. So popular. So they became friendly. And one day, Kate invited Julie back to her home to conduct a seance. Julie accepted, went to the Bender home. Danger, Julie, danger. She noticed right away there was a foul smell in the small home. Yeah. So she and Katie clasp hands, start their seance. Julie closes her eyes. And she'd later talk about how the instant her eyes closed, she had, quote, a terrible feeling come over her. She opened her eyes and, this is, this is a direct quote, stared up at the three other benders who had tiptoed into the room. Crowding together, there was deadly purpose in their dark eyes. In the dim light, it looked like Pa Bender brandished an axe. Oh, no. Yeah, that's a little weird. <laughs> That's maybe a red flag. Um, I give her credit, though. She kept her cool, blurts out, I need to use the privy, gets outside, hikes up her skirts, and just takes off. Good for her. And she even said she heard them running behind her. They maybe even shot off a shotgun at her, but she got away. Dang. In May of 1871, two boys would find a man's body decomposing in a water hole below Drum Creek. His head had been bashed in and his throat was cut. Yikes. He, yeah, not a good way to go. He would later be identified as William James, a stonemason. On January 7th of 1872, there was a blizzard. Uh, a neighbor whose home was about four miles from the Bender home looked out and saw Pa and John in their wagon heading away from their homestead into the open prairie, which, middle of a blizzard? That's a little weird. It's a little weird. Maybe not the best choice. She kind of assumed, all right, well, maybe they got turned around and there's a blizzard. They got lost or they're, they're going the wrong direction. So about a month after this, the snow starts to melt. And wouldn't you know it, two bodies would be discovered in the prairie. Look at that. Two men who had had been killed the same way that William James had, heads bashed in, throats cut. Were their bodies fully intact or was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a heads bashed, throats cut. That was kind of their MO. Interesting. Now, this was becoming a trend. Uh, in fact, over the next year, at least nine more people were reported missing as they were traveling through the area. That's a lot. Especially if that area is not very populated. And it's not. So it was getting a little bit of a reputation, particularly because a lot of the people who went missing had been reported to be carrying money with them. So one man who went missing, William McCrotty, he disappeared, apparently had about $2,600 on him. John Greary disappeared, had about $2,000 on him. John Boyle disappeared, had about $1,900 on him. And then in the 1870s, that's a good chunk of money. Yeah, that's a lot. A man named Benjamin Brown went missing. He didn't have as much money on him, about $50, but he did have a nice wagon and horses. Others would vanish. An Irish laborer named Alfonso Sconce, a man named Jack Bully, Henry McKenzie. It's a lot. It's a lot of people. And the residents were getting alarmed. And this brings us to George Launcher or Launcher. Depending on which account you read, there is a little difference in the spelling. Mm -hmm. His wife died while giving birth. 
So he decided he was going to head back to his parents in Iowa and take his 18-month-old daughter, Marianne, with him. Makes a deal with a local physician, a friend of his, a Dr. William York, for his carriage. So sometime in late February of 1873, he leaves for Iowa. A blizzard had him finding shelter with an elderly widow who also gave him some uh, hand-me-down clothing for the baby. And this would be the last time anyone saw them alive. Oh. Yeah, not good. So his friend, Dr. William York, nice family man, had three children, two boys, one girl, his wife, Mary, pregnant. He's 32, well-respected, and he's heading out to visit his brother. And while he's traveling, he gets word of an abandoned wagon. He's like, hmm, that's weird. I'm going to check it out because, you know, who wouldn't check out an abandoned wagon? That sounds like funsies. And he finds out it's his wagon, the one that he sold to George. Oh. Yeah, that's weird. That is weird. So he starts to travel back home on March 9th, and he is last seen on March 10th of 1873, mentioning that he was planning on spending the night at the Bender Inn. Which, again, can you really call that an inn? No. You don't even get a room to yourself. That's, that's giving it a lot of credit, but whatever. <laughs> but Dr. York never makes it home. Dun, dun, dun. And his wife, Mary, is hella worried. So she reaches out to his brother, Alexander M. York, and is like, yo, William hasn't come home. And here's the thing. The York family, you know, you got Dr. York. You got one of them who goes on to be like a senator or something. I mean, they're, they're well-connected and influential family and reasonably well-off. So uh, Alexander puts together a search party. Depending on, it was either a dozen or it was 50, depending on which account you read. And again, I love the discrepancies because they're never, they're never similar. No, they're always fully different. Like a hundred or none. Yeah. Uh, It's Kate or it's Elvira. (laughs) Who knows? Elvira's cooler. I like her name better. Elvira is cooler. He gets his other brother, Edward, also a very important man, to help with the search. And they go out looking for William. On April 3rd of 1873, this would take them to the Bender home. John Jr. seated outside with his Bible, and when questioned, admits to seeing a man who matched Dr. York's description the week prior. He said he'd watered his horse and bought a few things and then left. That's some shady shit right there. That's some shady shit. So then Katie comes out and she's like, I can locate William. I have psychic powers. Oh. That's just how she said it too. I have psychic powers. <laughs> I love thinking about her saying it that way. I'm sorry. I do too. <clears throat> no, it's good. Keep going. <laughs> so she does her whole trance thing and she's like, the spirits won't help. This is how she talks all the time. The spirits won't help because there are non-believers present. This is why no one lets me come to their seance. <laughs> I piss off the spirits. <laughs> I believe. I just believe in evidence. Evidence. So Katie's like, it's cool. You can come back tomorrow, but just you. <laughs> All by yourself. We can try again. It'll okay, we can kill you. Yeah, wisely he chooses 
not to come back. And the thing is, they may have found this weird, all of this behavior, but I don't think anything was going to the place of, well, the Bender family obviously murdered them. <laughs> like, the family had a little bit of a reputation of being oddballs, and this just sort of reinforced it. But nobody was really suspicious. And I mean, oddballs are a good thing. <laughs> you, you like oddballs? I like the odd balls, the balls that are odd. <laughs> Anywho. Anywho. Um, so a couple days later, still April, meeting is held to address the fact that, oops, people keep disappearing and dying. And Kansas is kind of getting a reputation. Which, what do you think of when you think of Kansas? Like, what comes Dorothy. to mind? Dorothy? Dorothy, the Wizard of yeah. Oz. Wizard of Oz, yeah. Tornadoes and Wizard of Oz. That's what I think of. So I I guess they have improved their reputation from, like, murder family. <laughs> Thank God for the Wizard of Oz, man. Corn? Is that Kansas? Kansas corn? Is that a thing? I don't know. I just have a friend who lived in Kansas for a long time, so I think about that. But that's not because, like, no one else would think of that. I just think of that. You know that's, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, like, there's Kansas cities in a bunch of places that aren't Kansas. I think about that too. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But I always so, think that's weird. Not murder. Not murder. Hmm. I gotta work on that. John Jr. and Pa Bender attend this meeting as does the living York brothers. Uh, And they agree, the collective town, that they're going to do a thorough search of all the homesteads. And most people are like, yay! Yeah, Bender and Bender Jr. are like, oh. Aw, shucks. Aw, shucks. Now, this is where the timeline starts to get a little weird, depending on which version of events you're reading. Sometime after, it may have been the week after this meeting, still in mid-April, or it may have been like a month after, an abandoned wagon is found. There are animals hitched to it, and these animals are starving. Oh, no. And in the bottom of the wagon, a sign that says, grow cry. Uh Uh-oh. The same sign that was attached to the house. But why bring the sign? I like, mean, that's it's so like weird. automatic evidence. 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 Well, not even that. Just like, why bring the sign? What's so special about the sign that you want to bring it with you? It's I don't know. Wood, why I would guess. you leave your animals? That's so sad. I kind of feel like the people who murdered a lot of others for a living may not have cared about their farm animals. Touche, but I will just beg to differ that I like animals more than people, so... Well, I do, too. I, like, I'm a vegetarian. I would eat a person before I'd eat an animal. <laughs> Quoted. Noted. Recorded. We have it. Evidence. That's, that's not a secret. I've, I've said that before. <laughs> I've been saying that for new? years. <laughs> Why do you think I like Hannibal so much? <laughs> Touche, ma'am. Touche. Nobody be surprised when we see it happen. I'm just saying. Eat the rude. Anyway. Go great. <clears throat> On Friday, May 2nd of 1873, a neighbor, Silas Tolls, was passing by the Bender home 
and it looks kind of abandoned. Like the livestock's wandering around, the horses and wagon aren't anywhere to be seen. There's a dead calf in the pen that oh, seems to have sad. starved to death. Oh, yeah, no, no, it's super sad. Uh, there's no signs of life. And and his immediate thought is is that, oh, crap. Maybe they've become victims of whomever it is that's killing people in the area. So he reports this to the trustee of township, L.F. Dick. <laughs> or... Oh no. Leroy Dick. <laughs> These names. Oh my God. Who names their child Leroy Dick? I feel like if I ever get an animal, we need to name it Leroy Dick. It gets one better. Some of the newspapers refer to him as Esquire Dick. <laughs> oh my God. Esquire Dick. Why are we 12 year old boys right now? I can't even handle it. Can't say any of these. <laughs> I, like, I'm not kidding. When I read Esquire Dick for the first time, I think I laughed for five minutes straight. <laughs> it's a good name. I don't know why I can't, like, okay, <clears throat> LF Dick, Leroy Dick, Esquire Dick. There we go. I said it them makes all. me want to, like, find an Esquire magazine and write Dick next to it. <laughs> I just, like, that's <laughs> on point. Like, I don't, this really is, this is, you know, this is the 12 year old boy in me that, that just the, I see the name Dick and I die. I lose it. I'm sorry. <laughs> so the trustee of township uh, hashtag Esquire Dick <laughs> hashtag Esquire Dick or everyone's name Dick. He uh, he heads out with the York brothers and some detectives to go check out the farm to investigate. And yep, it's deserted. There's no people around, and they go in the house. And immediately are overtaken with an unbearable stench. That's a dead body. That's what you would think. However, what they find is that there is a hole in the back. Oh, is it their toilet? No. <laughs> Not, it's a bigger <gasps> hole. It's a hole that's big enough to fit a body. Oh. There's no body in it, but the inside is completely coated in coagulated blood. So somebody was in it. Somebody some or bodies were in it. And that's that stank. That's going to smell like dried stinky. blood, just gross coagulated blood. Oh, that's, that's going to reek. Ugh. So they decide to come back the next day to look around the grounds. And when they do, they notice an impression in the garden. Maybe a grave. Yeah, they start digging, and inside they find the body of William York. Uh, An article that ran in the Oswego Independent describes the discovery of his body as, it was crowded in a hole about four feet long and four feet deep, head down and feet almost protruding through the soil. When removed, the head fell from the body. Oh, no. The throat had been cut from ear to ear, severing leaders and arteries. The skull was mashed in two places as if done by a hammer. A blow upon either side of the skull. A shoe hammer, however, and a hatchet were found in the house and the poles of which fit the holes. Wait, do you think they tried to like match it like a puzzle piece? 
Well, I mean, it's the same thing they did with the Lizzie Borden case. They looked at the holes in the skull and they and the hatchet head that they found to see if it would fit. Huh? That's I mean, they still do that today. Does That's true. does you know the size of the bullet wounds match what caliber bullets? So that that's kind of like you know 101 when you're investigating a crime true, is this true. the murder weapon <laughs> for sure so mary york who is william york's wife she actually went on to write a book about her husband's death which i read because i'm me um like it's written in 1875 you can tell it's crazy melodramatic sounding by today's standards uh there was a passage she was talking about when her husband went missing and she said at last the weary night was gone and the morning dawns the morning of the day which was to bring conviction to my worst fears and make one feel that all caps surely my husband was dead so dramatic oh my god the all caps throughout is what got me uh and then she writes when when she was informed about the body I did not view his remains, for I wished to treasure in my heart a memory of my husband, which should be pleasant to recall in the years to come. <laughs> Y'all just missed it, but uh, Kim just wiped a fake tear away from her face, because this is an audio medium, not a visual medium. I know. I but I... To be fair, like, I get it. You know, she was, she yeah, was her husband by her husband's death. Yeah. Yeah. And she had, you know, she was pregnant when he died. She had three children. Oh, like this man. was, this was devastating. And she and her husband adored each other. It, it really is sad. I shouldn't make fun of her grief. The book is just a lot it's <laughs> reading it. It's, it's overwhelming. And, and you don't actually find out a whole lot of info. It's mostly just her doing this. Um, so they keep digging. And in total, they find 11 bodies on the property. Holy shit. Yeah. Although when it comes down to a total victim count, the number is usually placed at 21. Dang. Now, most of the bodies were found in a row. There was one that was found in a hole that used to be a well. Most of the bodies had been stripped of their clothes. And they were able to ID a lot of the bodies. They ID'd William McCrotty. Uh, Johnny or William Boyle, who went missing on October 25th of 1872, recognized by the shirt he was wearing. Benjamin Brown, who had disappeared during the winter, identified by a ring he had on his little finger. Henry McKenzie, who'd been missing since Christmas of 1872, identified by his bushy hair and beard. Hmm. Jack Bully, who was identified by his build. I guess he was kind of a big guy. Big boy. Alonzo, yeah. Alonzo Sconce, our Irish laborer, identified by his socks and teeth. Wait, what? <laughs> That's what it said. The article said he was identified by his socks and teeth. I Maybe have he likes like fun socks. Did they have fun socks in eighteen seventy two? But it makes me want to think he had like palm tree socks and that's how they knew it was him good for you alonzo and his teeth he had palm tree teeth too or just really distinct teeth maybe it was like austin powers teeth like just way too big for his face i don't know uh there was also apparently the body of a a child found but they weren't identified because the remains were too decomposed oh no which brings us to george launcher and his baby daughter so george's head was bashed in as were the other victims for the most part, throats cut. The baby, though, didn't have a mark on her. She was found under her father, 
which suggested that she had just been tossed into the grave alive. Oh my God. Her father's body thrown on top of her. Oh my God. And then buried alive. Holy shit. That's like another kind of... Yeah, that's a different oh, level of messed up. Yeah. Not that all of this isn't messed up, but it's like to casually take a, an 18-month-old child that's and just crazy. chuck them in the ground Ugh. and throw their father's body on top of them. The callousness involved there is something else. Yeah. So McKenzie, York, and Longer's bodies were described as being mutilated in a matter that would, quote, shock the modesty of a modoc which i had to look up apparently it's a phrase that implies they were castrated what <laughs> yeah so i don't know what they did to warrant that because not all the bodies were like that but there were a few that were huh maybe maybe they turned them down i don't know <laughs> now understandably people are horrified wait would you have called them oddballs <laughs> at that point were there any balls maybe they had an odd number <laughs> the ball. can follow the bouncing ball <clears throat> anyway well that's what if you cut it off you can follow the bouncing balls i get and then okay, it's an odd down. number we're going down a path <laughs> So, understandably, people are horrified, as I am by this conversation, <laughs> Esquire Dick. Um, oh, this is man. so beyond the realm of what anyone's expecting. So they start searching. Obviously, they send out a search party. Rewards are posted. They're questioning neighbors. And Rudolph Brockman, who had been friendly with the family, a mob takes him convinced he must know something or been involved in some way. And uh, this actually ran in the Osage County Chronicle and it talked about it. Um, he was, quote, suspended by a limb three times. So he was hung three times until life was nearly extinct. Yikes. The paper would condemn the act with, quote, unwarrantable outrage altogether without excuse. And eventually they left him alone. Although 23 years later, he would be convicted of murdering and torturing his 16-year-old daughter to death. So. Goes around, comes around, I guess. Mm. Yikes. Uh, but a, a picture was starting to come together. People are comparing stories. They're looking at the bodies and they're constructing a narrative. Travelers would come in and be seated at the table with their backs to that curtain. Kate would keep them distracted by conversation while her brother or father would go behind the curtain with a hammer. They'd strike the victim on the head and then strip them, rob them, and slit their throats to ensure they were dead. They'd put them in the hole in the back until they could be buried or disposed of properly. And it was noted when, when they first went into the, the little home that there were bullet holes in the ceiling and the walls, implying that maybe more than once someone fought back. Yeah, that's weird. And as the story is coming to light, more people are coming forward to talk about their own stories and experiences and close calls. Dang. Like Jill, 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 Julie, began with a J. 
Sure. Or, or, I know who you're talking about. Point. You know who I'm talking about. The Clipper. Yeah, yeah. I, should, I should go back in my notes. I can't believe I... Anyway. Um, Charles Hallett of Independence had stopped the benders. And while at the table eating, he heard a noise. And when he turned, quote, he saw a man stealthily approaching him with a hammer in his hand. Hallett drew his revolver and wheeled on the man. He then froze and knelt to hammer a nail on the floor, saying he was fixing a loose board. Whoa. Oh, my God. That's very funny. <laughs> just kidding. I actually am just fixing the floorboard. <laughs> fixing this board. Wow. Uh, and other people had similar stories. Some of the stories got a little ridiculous, which is part of why I'm not reporting all of them. If you do enough digging, you can find them. So by May 9th, more than a thousand people swarmed to the homestead. It was like this weird, bizarre tourist attraction. And they're taking pieces of the house, even clipping hair from the dead bodies. What? Yeah. And pretty soon, all that's left is the frame of the home. And then that was gone, too. Papers are going nuts. The description of events and the family read pretty silly by today's standards. Um, in the Oswego Independent, they declared that the Bender family consisted of four persons, the demon, his consort, and the two young ones. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Someone wrote on the door, uh, John Bender, special agent of hell, which sounds like it should be the name of a 90s metal cover band. Yes, it almost sounds like it should be an X-File. It does kind of sound like an X-File. <laughs> And, you know, they're still trying to catch them. So they're trying to trace their movements. But it looks like the family left almost after that, immediately after that meeting by April 6th, which means it's been more than a month. And there's theories that they took the train, that they headed back to Europe, that they were murdered by a group of vigilantes. Uh, and different people through the years were accused of being the Bender family. In fact, in 1889, over 15 years after these crimes, a woman and her daughter were arrested for being Katie and Ma Bender, only to produce evidence that they weren't even in the state of Kansas at that point. Now, in a weird bit of what a small world, Laura Ingalls Wilder's family lived about 20 miles south of where the Benders were when they were living in Kansas. Apparently, Wilder told a story at a book fair in 1937 that would be republished in the Saturday Evening Post in 1978. Now, Wilder died in 1957, so this was published after her death. Okay. But what she said is that the night of the day the bodies were found, a neighbor rode up to our house and talked earnestly with Pa. Pa took his rifle down from its place over the door and said to Ma, the vigilantes are called out. Then he saddled a horse and rode away with a neighbor. It was late the next day when he came back and he never told us where he had been. For several years, there was more or less a hunt for the benders and reports that they had been seen here or there. At such times, Pa always said in a strange tone of finality, they will never be found. They were Wait. never found and later I formed my own conclusion why. So given that there was that whole theory that a group of vigilantes or an angry posse had gone after them and maybe succeeded in catching them, this quote implies that her father was part of a group of vigilantes who killed the Bender family. However, Laura Ingalls Wilder moved in 1871. And the Bender's crimes weren't discovered until 1873. So... so 
Yeah, by the time she told this story, there was some sort of artistic liberty being taken. Like, and she would have been, she was only a couple years old at this point. So she was alive, but she wouldn't have remembered any of this. But it's a really good example of how, you know, historical stories like this become a giant game of telephone. Totally. Because she reported something at a book fair and it gets published after, you know, 40 years after she died. And and when she first talks about it, it's 50 years after the events took place. Like it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, Now there was another anecdote that um, her father had, had seen Kate, the daughter in the doorway on his way home when he was traveling, but he didn't go inside. And, and that is a little bit more believable than the other one for a lot of reasons. Um, There was an article that ran in true West magazine back in 2013 that thinks it might have tracked down Kate and John Jr. in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. There are apparently two graves, a Joseph Bender, 1843 to 1888, and his wife, Katie Bender, 1846 to 1917. And they did some digging to try to find out about the couple. John Joseph Bender was born in Germany in 1843. When he was 21, he came to America, ended up in St. Louis, Missouri, where he worked as a blacksmith. 1868, he married Catherine Christina Miller, who was from Germany originally, but her family came to the United States when she was young. They got married on January 4th of 1868 in Missouri. They moved to another part of Missouri a few years after that. And then there is no records of them until they arrive in Colorado in 1878. Isn't that interesting? It is interesting. Now, John died in 1888 uh, at the age of 45. Katie opened up a tavern, which she oversaw for the next 30 years till she died in 1917 and was quite successful, traveled a lot. Could it be the same Benders? Now, Bender is apparently a very common German last name. And Kate and Katie, John are all fairly common names. Sure. But it is interesting. That's definitely what we would call interesting. Having a big gap of time like that that coincides with the time that these people were killing people elsewhere. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, it's a mighty big coincidence. But to this day, nobody knows for sure exactly what happened to the Bender family. Now, the area where the Benders lived and buried their victims was nicknamed Hell's Acre. It is rumored to be haunted and i'm saying rumored with quotes which you can't see air quotes um it's a popular site for ghost hunters to investigate i read absolutely zero stories or evidence anyone has ever found but people keep going there to investigate it the property also went on sale not too long ago so if you want to own a little piece of murder history you can check it out look at that Uh and uh that is the story of the bender family the ogs well some of the ogs some of the ogs not the ogs G's. no but but they are considered by some to be among america's first serial killers wow that's wild i can't believe that they had that hole in the back of their tiny house covered in blood <laughs> the blood hole you don't have a blood hole in your apartment I mean, just me? should we bring up vampire menstruation again? <laughs> we have gone a few episodes not talking about menstruation. Well, you're welcome. There it is. <laughs> Brought it back. 
Still, uh, it all comes back to menstruation. Yeah, sure does. That's why that's got that coagulated blood hole. Oh, God. <laughs> oh Gabby. <laughs> Esquire dick. Esquire dick. So nice. I love that topic because I just have to share with you my takeaways <laughs> from this topic. My takeaways from this topic are four hashtags that we will be using in our Instagram. So look for them. And okay. if you feel like, you know, you see something that inspires you to use said hashtag, tag us so we can see it and we'll shout you out. So here's our hashtags. Are you ready? Okay. First one is hashtag grow cry. <laughs> That's G-R-O-C-R-Y. Misspelling of grocery. Mm-hmm. Second one, hashtag hags. Hashtag hags. Hashtag hags. Hashtag hags. Third one, Esquire dick. <laughs> That's a Kim favorite. And then one of my favorites is hashtag oddballs because <laughs> there were a couple of references of oddballs in there. There were a couple of references of oddballs. <laughs> We'll have our like typical, you know, Bender family, all that business. So if you see something that relates to this topic or want to share with us, please tag us on our Instagram at Schoolish Tendencies Podcast. Um, we'd like to post some fun stuff on there and you can find us. It'll be a good time. A little interactive <laughs> topic. But uh, thanks. Thanks, Kim. That was really You're wonderful. <laughs> Love a nice dark <laughs> story about... Heads getting bashed in and, and throats getting cut with a nice coagulated blood hole. Yeah, with a little Esquire dick for good measure. <sighs> for good measure. <laughs> and this brings us to... Creepy Critics Corner! Creepy Critics Corner! Kim. What you watching? So uh, I actually finally have gotten around to watching the fourth season of Fargo, uh, which, uh, you know, because I, I, the first season, if you've not seen Fargo, first season's awesome. Second season's good. Third season, I couldn't finish. So the fourth season started recently, and uh, it's about a couple warring mob families in, in uh Oh shit, is it Kansas? Are they in Kansas? Oh my god, are they in Kansas City? Or maybe it's Kansas City. (laughs) It's not. No, it's 1950. It's 1950. It's Kansas City, Missouri. That's what it is. That's why I keep thinking Kansas. It's Kansas City, Missouri. But um, it stars Chris Rock, who's really good. Nice. And um, Jesse Buckley, who plays this just bizarre nurse, she's awesome. And she's also kind of a, an angel of mercy serial killer. Oh. And Jason Schwartzman, who plays uh, on the Italian side of the, the head of the, the warring crime families. And it's, it's just, it's really, really well done. Uh, great cast across the board. The acting is just top notch and there's so many good characters. I can't even start to name them all. Is that something that, that Fargo, when it gets it right, it it does a beautiful ensemble cast, That's awesome. uh, but it's, it's, it's really, really well done. And it's, if, again, if you've never seen the series or if you've never seen the movie, it's this really nice blend of dark humor uh, it's a very black comedy, but then kind of a crime drama. 
Right up my alley. Right up your alley. Have you watched the series at all? I started the series in season one, but I haven't gotten through all of it um, because I like to start things and never finish them. But um, <laughs> are the seasons completely separate storylines? Yeah, it's it's anthology. So there there's... Okay. You can watch each one individually. They all take place nice. in different times. There's usually some connections, like I think between the first and second season. In the first season, um, you meet the father of one of the characters as an older man. And then in the second season, you see him as a young man. Oh, but you don't need to have known that just because it takes place earlier. Got it. You, but it doesn't. You don't need to have known that. Like there's there's a couple characters that'll pop up here across seasons, but it's they all stand alone. Okay. So like having not finished season three, I uh, and not having rewatched season one or two in years, uh, I hopped into season four completely fine. Okay, cool. I think I might just want to watch season four now because that cast it's, sounds amazing. It's so good. And again, I'm I'm leaving out. So many people. Oh, one of my, also one of my personal favorites, um, Timothy Olipants. Uh, that's not his name, but that's what I call him. Um, he, he comes in as a, as a, as a like U.S. Marshal guy. That's his, his default character to play. Uh, but there's just so many good actors and it is a really good time. Um, so I've been watching that. Uh, and then I've actually been listening to, kind of inspired by doing all this research. Uh-huh. I'm a big fan of murder ballads. Hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with murder ballads. I'm not. Murder ballads are a ballad, a song that basically tells the story of a crime or a death. Wow. So there, there's usually a narrative to sure. them. And uh, there was a time they were really, really popular. They they are less popular today, but there is a group, uh, well, it's a duo, I suppose, Amer- that does um, American Murder Song. And I've been familiar with with one of the members because he's done a number of horror musicals that I follow. Nice. Uh, but uh, uh, I think a couple of years ago, they teamed up and started releasing these albums with all these murder ballads on them. Oh, that's great. And they have a number of albums available. You can find most of it on YouTube as well. If you just look up uh, American Murder Song. Oh, I got um, that. It's uh, like, I have all their albums. I've seen them play live a couple times. The two guys, Terrence and Sar, are super, super nice. Very sweet. And uh, like, they always talk to people after the shows. And uh, it's, it's uh, if you want some kind of fun music... Their first, they like one of their albums was all about the Donner Party. Nice. They did an album that was all about uh, the year without summer, the 1816 year without summer. Um, so it's, 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 they're a really good time. You can, you can find all their stuff. And so I've been listening to that kind of inspired by the Bender family. I, I kind of feel like shouting out to them and being like, y'all should do an album on the Bender family. That would be so cool. I had no idea that that even existed. That sounds like, Something I would really be into. What have you been watching, Gabby? Well, I have been watching a plethora of things, and I'll give a couple of notes on the things that I have been watching. Okay. One of the things that I've watched, I, I texted like you, you have notes. I do have notes because I have a shit memory. One of the things I watched was the movie The Dead Don't Die, and oh God, that's a movie, that movie you told me you hated. 
I hate that movie so much. It was, I, I wish I was, I don't even smoke pot and I wish I was high when I watched it. I still wish I was high when I watched it because maybe it would have been better. I was not. Yeah, I don't think it was great at all. I was excited about it when I saw the cast because it has a is great, really great cast. It's got yeah, uh, cast is good. I hated Bill the movie, Murray, but the cast is great. Tilda Swinton um, has Chloe Sevigny. It has. I loved uh, the great fact cast and Steve Buscemi's in it. I love him, but um, the fact that Iggy Pop is in it and he plays a zombie is very funny to me. And Tom Waits' character. Yeah. Is my yeah. favorite character in the whole thing. Actually, no, Tilda Swinton's character is my favorite. I, I did like Tilda Swinton's character. Um, and like, if you haven't seen it and you want to see it for the sake of of watching an interesting kind of like dark humor zombie. Oh, and Adam Driver's in and it Bill too. Murray. <laughs> yeah, I said Bill Murray first. Okay, <laughs> um, but like Adam Driver's great in it as his like stone faced sarcasm character, which I love. I love when he plays that type of character and it's just the writing of it wasn't totally great. And then when it gets toward the end, I don't want to like ruin it for anybody, but I loathed it, but it's a movie that people tended to either like or not like, like I had one of my very good friends, one of my very good horror buddies, she loved it, but she loves all this guy's movies. I wanted those two hours of my life back. Like I resented, I saw the movie for free. I had passes to see it. And I brought another friend with me. We saw it for, we paid no money to see it. And I wanted my money back. That was how much I disliked this movie. (laughs) I remember when I watched it until the end, I was like, I can see why Kim hated this movie. (laughs) Like I knew, I knew why you hated it. it. It wasn't my cup of tea, but some people love it. I feel like I'm kind of in between and I might be that yeah. like outlier. That's like an in-between. Cause it's like Bjork, you either love her, or you hate her. Like it's, yeah. it's a similar situation, but I mm-hmm. actually like, I liked a good chunk of it, but then right. I really disliked the rest of it. Um, and I felt <laughs> like there were a lot of questions left unanswered that I wanted answered. Oh, yeah. And yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, I mean, it was, it was worth a watch if you're interested, but let for us no know other how reason you like it. See. Why I love this so much. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I got it. Like, when you, because I remember I texted you, I was like, have you seen this movie? And you're like, I fucking hate that movie. And I was like, okay. That's what I said exactly. I really yep, did. You just, you said it just like that. Um, but, but, but I mean, again, some people, some people love it. Yeah. I don't love it. I liked it. I yeah. appreciated parts of it. And I also appreciated the character. I forgot his name, but he was like the nerdy guy that worked at the gas station and had oh, all kinds yeah. of references to other horror movies, like on his shirt or pins and like knew everything about every horror movie known to man. Like mm-hmm. I appreciated that little like insight as a character. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But anyway, there was that. And then in other news, <laughs> I've also watched, um, there's a new show on Netflix. It's called We Are the Champions and it's worth mm. a watch. The first episode is about a cheese race and people that run down a hill chasing a wheel of cheese. Sure. And it's a thing. Um, <laughs> that was an interesting episode, but my personal favorite episodes, there are two. Okay. One of them is about dog dancing and it's a real true competition um all over but it focuses on um a russian woman and her dog and this like profound thing that she's fallen into is dog dancing and it's basically like taking dog shows and then making the animals dance with you but they have like 
really fun outfits and like these cute little routines and it's really really nice to watch it's a little like lighthearted moment but she's super like sarcastic and not the nicest person and so it's really funny because you would think when you're looking at a dog and talking about dog dancing that the person that's doing the dog dancing might be like the most fun exciting person ever but she's like not She's like the most stereotypical Russian woman that has no personality and hates everything. And I think the combination of those two things made me love it even more. So highly recommend that episode. And there's also an episode on it that's called Fantasy Hairstyling, and it focuses on the Bronner Brothers um, International Beauty Show. If you if you if you're not familiar with it, it was actually featured in the old documentary. Not not that old. Actually, Chris Rock did it. I think it came out in 2012 oh. called Good Hair. Good hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Now I know what you're talking about. And that's a great documentary if you haven't seen it. Great, yeah. Watch it. It's fantastic. And it holds up still. Um, (laughs) But they talk about that um, beauty show in this episode and they talk about like the current state of it versus how it was like eight years ago, which Mm -hmm. is kind of cool. But yeah, those were super fun and it was a little bit of a different thing to watch, which I enjoyed. And each episode's only like 30 minutes. So you don't have to dedicate a ton of time to anything. And it's a nice, almost like palate cleanser of anything that you're watching just because each episode is so totally different. Right. And you know, it's fun. I liked it. Okay. Okay. And then as far as listening to, Mm -hmm. I have been listening to a funny feeling podcast with Betsy Sodaro and Marcy Jero. And it's, if y'all like this kind of spooky true crime kind of topics, they do mainly like ghost stories, hauntings, Mm. but also talk about their own experiences. They read like listener experiences. They're very Mm. funny though. They're like, if you don't know who Marcy Jero is, she writes for Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Betsy Sodaro is a comedian. She's in a ton of stuff. And they're great together. They have really good chemistry. And so if you want another podcast to listen to, check that out. Now, if you're looking to support small business during the holidays, which is currently right now, we're in it. You're welcome. I'm sorry. It is what it is. We didn't know it was November, December already, but look at us. We're here. Um, This comes out. It'll be December. Oh my God. That blows my mind. But I actually opened up a Etsy shop. If you would like to support me, it'd be really great. Thanks. I'd really appreciate it. (laughs) Um, But it's called Doom Decor with the D as in dog. And if you like holiday decor, but you want to make it spooky, this is a great way of, you know, combining your spooky vibes with your love for the holidays. And I made ornaments. So they're Christmas tree ornaments that are white, that are hand painted with corpse paint from different types of black metal band inspiration. And they have a velvet ribbon that is hand sewn onto it. And I'm selling them individually. You have five different options. I'm also selling them in packs. So you can do a pack of three or a pack of four for a deal. And there's a sale going on the week that this comes out. So if you want to check it out, go over to Doom Decor on Etsy and support the small business. Thank you so much. That's my plug. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you all so much. We have a Instagram like we were talking about earlier. If you haven't followed us on there, please find us on Instagram. It is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. We like to post some stuff. If you want to post stuff and tag us in there too, we'll repost you. Uh, I also have an Instagram for Doom Decor, which I didn't mention, but it is at Doom Decor. So check out both Instagrams while you're at it. And 
We also have a website. It is ghoulishtendencies.com. We have all of our show notes, all of our references. Every episode is on there. And we also have a way to see all of our social media on there too. So if you want one central place for everything, that's what that is. We also have Patreon. If you love what we do and you want to help support us a bit and appreciate us a little bit and get some goodies in the mail, check out Patreon. Uh, Look us up. It is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast on there. We like to post extra audio content on our Patreon. Like bloopers. Including the best bloopers ever. Truly, I I take so much joy in editing the bloopers because I don't edit the bloopers. I just put them all together and then I release it and it's great. And it's generally a good time. Well, I think there's a balance. It depends on which episode the bloopers are from because, you know, if the episode's your episode, then they're going to be more of you. But if it's mine, there's more. That's true. Nice little balance. That's fair. That's fair. So, you know, we have a a nice little balance of what we talk about before we start recording, and it's always a good time. But check out our Patreon if you want to get access to that and actually hear all of our music, too, from our intro and outro. We even have Twitter as well. So if you are a Twitter person, it is Check us out. It's Pod on Twitter. And we also have a Facebook page. It is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. We appreciate y'all so much. We hope you had a uh, safe Thanksgiving. We hope you have mm-hmm. a safe holiday season. And mm-hmm. we look forward to our next episode with you. Yeah. And 